Thank you, Marion, and good morning, everybody. My name's Tim. I'm the senior minister here at St John's, and I'd encourage you to keep the Pew Bibles open uh, to James chapter 1 as we look at this together. Uh, I don't know whether you've seen in the news recently um, the revelations regarding Justin Welby, who's the Archbishop of Canterbury. Uh, For the 60 years of Justin Welby's life, he's always believed that his father was Gavin Welby, uh, the man whose uh, surname he's taken and uh, he believed was his father up until the time that his father died, tragically, of uh, alcoholism. But it's recently been revealed that, in actual fact, uh, his mother had an affair just before uh, she was married uh, with Anthony Montague Brown, who was Winston Churchill's private secretary. And DNA evidence has just uh, revealed the fact that uh, this man, rather than Gavin Welby, is in fact the biological father of the Archbishop of Canterbury. Now you can just imagine what a shock that would be at 60 years of age to discover that you are not who you thought you were, uh, to try and process this new piece of information that has suddenly uh, come along and to try and make sense of everything that is going on. You can just imagine the British tabloids licking their lips with glee at this a scandal and revelling in the, the fallout that you would expect to follow from this surprising revelation. And yet the way that Justin Welby has responded to this situation has been remarkable. One commentator has said that the way he responded has been more of a witness to Christianity than a thousand sermons preached would have been. He released a statement uh, recently in response to these revelations and I commend, if you can, I commend it to you to read it in its entirety because it is very powerful but I want to just pick up a few sections from the last few paragraphs. He writes, This revelation has of course been a surprise but in my life and in our marriage Carolyn and I have had far worse. He's referring there to the fact that both of his parents growing up were alcoholics. He had a very disrupted upbringing and he and his wife Carolyn actually lost their first child before she was one year old uh, due to a car accident. So he's faced many, many trials in his life. He goes on. I know that I find who I am in Jesus Christ, not in genetics, and my identity in him never changes. Although there are elements of sadness and even tragedy in my father Gavin Welby's case, this is a story of redemption and hope from a place of tumultuous difficulty and near despair in several lives. It's a testimony to the grace and power of Christ to liberate and redeem us, grace and power which is offered to every human being. At the very outset of my inauguration service three years ago, Evangeline Canagasorium, a young member of the Canterbury Cathedral congregation, said, We greet you in the name of Christ. Who are you and why do you request entry? To which I responded, I am Justin, a servant of Jesus Christ, and I come as one seeking the grace of God to travel with you in his service together. What has changed? Nothing. 
We're thinking today about how we as Christian people face trials in our lives, challenges and difficult circumstances that come our way. As we've come along uh, to church this morning, um, we've been met with a tragedy that a person has uh, been killed um, due to an incident across the road last night at the Windy Mile. We don't know many details about that, but there will be many people in our local community grieving, uh, in great difficulty. Um, I think particularly of poor old Brett and Cathy who run the Windy Mile and who uh, many of us know quite well and the guilt and the sadness and the difficulty of dealing with this thing that has happened. And of course in our own lives there are many things going on right now or things that we have faced which have been extraordinarily difficult. And we want to think this morning, how does faith in Jesus help us to deal with these things that we face? What is different for Christian people as we face trials? How does it change the way that we think about these things and how do we respond when we face difficult circumstances? We're starting today this new series called Faith in Action, working through the book of James. And James is a very practical book. It's very practical in teaching us what it looks like to follow Jesus in the varying circumstances of life. That's why we've called it Faith in Action, changing the way we live in response to our faith in Jesus Christ. Now, James, as you may know, is a pretty straight talker. He doesn't mince words, he tells it like it is. So as we work through this book, I hope that we're challenged together to see that following Jesus needs to make a change in our lives. It needs to change the way that we live that we put our faith in action in a range of different ways. Now, because James writes in a very short and punchy way, when you read this letter, at times it feels like he's jumping around from topic to topic, and it might have felt like that as Marion was reading to us this morning. But I think the unifying theme in the section that we've read together this morning is this idea of trials and challenges, how we respond to them, how God can help us through them, and also the dangers and temptations that can come in the midst of trial. So uh, please look with me at James chapter 1 and verse 2. James writes, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. Now a trial is is a life event. It's usually something external to us, some set of external circumstances which happen which are out of our control perhaps and are unexpected. They hit us and it's very challenging. Maybe it's the loss of a job, uh, the tragic loss of a family member or a friend, someone close to us, uh, failing a subject at school or university, a serious financial difficulty, um, relational difficulties in a family and many other things. Uh, For James's first readers, the people that James is writing to, they are a scattered group of Christians from the Jerusalem church who have been driven away and are suffering persecution for their faith in Christ. They're being oppressed probably by the wealthy, as is indicated in some sections in our reading this morning and in other parts of James, and life is pretty challenging for them. Trials are not something that we would want, they're not something that we would wish for. And so James's response is extraordinarily surprising. Consider it joy. No, not, not even that. Consider it pure joy. 
whenever you face trials of various kinds. You've got to admit that is a, that is a weird response. That is a really strange response to difficulties because joy is something that we normally associate with the good things that happen in life, to good circumstances and not with trials. Now we should note that joy and happiness are not the same thing. Happiness is a, a superficial feeling. It's an emotional reaction to our circumstances. James is not saying that you have to be happy in the midst of trials. In fact, we probably won't be happy. Joy is something that is deeper and more lasting. Joy is dependent on more than just fleeting and changing circumstances that happen in life. Joy is grounded in the character of God and our confidence in him despite the circumstances that we're facing. That we can still see the good and we can still be thankful even in the midst of trials. Note too that when James says consider it pure joy, he's not saying that we must feel unadulterated joy. That is, that the only emotion you're allowed to experience in the midst of trial is joy. No, on the contrary, we might feel sadness, we might feel disappointment, we might feel anger in the midst of the circumstances that we're, that we're facing and yet still be able to be joyful. James is using the word pure here in the sense of genuine or real. So while joy may not be the only emotion that we feel, it is a real one. This is not just about putting on a happy face, pretending that life's fine, the fake smile. No, it is something deeper, a deeper response than that. So how can James say this? How can he can say, consider it pure joy when we face trials? Well, the answer comes in verse 3. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. James is saying that we can be joyful even in the midst of trials, not because the trials in themselves are good, but that God can use them to do good in us. He can use those situations to build up our character and to mature our faith. Now, perseverance is about keeping on going even when we don't feel like it. Uh, last weekend, some friends of mine did the Oxfam Trail Walker. I don't know whether you're familiar with this event, but it's a 100-kilometre walk, which is done in teams of four people. Uh, and... Uh, uh, you do it continuously. You start in the night time, you walk through the day, you keep going until you stop. It took them 24 hours and 30 minutes to complete, walking through the night and the day. And of course, they were posting the entire thing on Facebook, as you do, and you could see their faces at various points along the way. Checkpoints one through four, happy smiles, thumbs, rabbit ears above the head, all of that sort of thing. Checkpoints five to eight, they were looking more serious, more determined, and by the end, it was just sheer exhaustion and pain. You could see it on their faces as they were gritting their teeth and pushing on as the blisters uh, enveloped their feet and as their knees screamed out for every incline up and every incline down. That's perseverance. Right? It's keeping on going, sticking to the task, making sure it gets done even when it gets hard. And trials in our life do that, don't they? They teach us perseverance because we're forced to decide, are we going to push on? Are we going to keep going in the midst of these difficult things that we're facing? Is it worth it? I mean, this is hard work. 
following Jesus is pretty tough at times. Do I want to keep going? Do I want to stick with him or should I give up? Perseverance uh, isn't good in and of itself. Perseverance is only good if it gets us to the end goal. So for my friend doing, friends doing the trail walker, they knew that this wasn't going to go on forever, that there was a 100-kilometre point that they could get to and they needed to persevere and keep going to the goal. So the question is, what's the goal for Christians? What are we persevering towards? Well, James puts it a few different ways. Down in verse 12, he puts it like this. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. The ultimate goal for the Christian person is what James calls the crown of life, um, eternal life, life forever with God in the new heavens and the new earth that he has promised. If we don't persevere, if we don't stick with God through the trial, then we miss that great reward that God is holding out for us in the end. But persevering through trials is not just about pie in the sky, if you like, something entirely future with no present benefit. God actually uses the trials and difficulties to do something in us now. Something in us now which is preparing us for that great future but which has positive effect in our life now. So back in verse 4 he says, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. God wants to grow us. God wants to transform our character so that we are more like Jesus. Uh, The biblical word for this is maturity or completeness making us the people that God created us to be, living at our full potential as human beings made in the image of God. And whether we like it or not, it's true, isn't it, that the ways that we most often grow in character and Christ-likeness is through difficult circumstances. As I reflect on my own life, I realise that some of the strongest times of growth with God a deeper dependence on him and a transformation of my character have been some of the hardest times when external circumstances have been most challenging in my life. Um, I was talking to Joan Hammond about this and I thought I'd get Joan to come up rather than just hearing a story from me. I thought it'd be good to hear a story from Joan in terms of how God has done this in her life. I'll get Joan to come to this microphone And this is sort of a brief interview inserted in middle of sermon, if you like. So as we were talking this week, Joan, you were saying that as you reflected back on your life, you thought that probably some of the times that you had grown the most had been through difficult circumstances. Is that, that, as you reflect, is that sort of, can you identify good times when you've grown or is it all sort of... No, only bad times. (laughs) The bad times. I don't see bad to go in good times. I'm one of those big people. Okay. Now, can you give us one example of where God really challenged you and grew you through a tough time in your life? Well, for those who don't know, I'm completely deaf. I have absolutely no hearing at all. And I began to go deaf when I, well, quite a long while ago. I was treated for pneumonia with a, uh, an antibiotic that causes the hairs to fall off your cochlea. So I gradually went deaf. And as I was going deaf, I got very cross. I was really unhappy. 
because I meant a change of my lifestyle. I couldn't any here at meetings. I started to lose relationships with people and it was really um, very sad really for me. I felt really unhappy. And one day I was pretty cross with God and on the 26th of January, 27th of January one year, I have a one year Bible and I was reading it and I came across this in Exodus 4, chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. The Lord said to Moses, Who gave man his mouth? Who makes him deaf or mute? Who gives him sight or makes him blind? Is it not I, said the Lord? Now I will help you speak and I will teach you what to say. And it hit me like a ton of bricks. I thought, well, gee whiz, if he could do that and all those wonderful things he did through Moses, just because I'm deaf it doesn't mean that I'm useless or got no value at all and that he's not going to use me. And it really changed my life from then and I began to get really optimistic about it. And really, I mean, God's been just so wonderful to me. I've got two cochlear implants and I can hear almost normally and it's really just changed my whole attitude to how I see the Lord and how he answers, answers us when we call out, not by just healing, but by changing our attitudes and the perseverance, I suppose, that comes with working with it. And it was also, um, that's what led you to a ministry of prayer. I mean, you yes. bless me and many, many people around the place because you pray for us uh, each day, you get up to pray. But it, this, it was this incident that kind of led to that, wasn't it? Was that what I decided that it was probably prayer was about the only thing I could do when I couldn't hear people. So I get emails or texts from people with prayer points. And I pray for hundreds of people all around the world now. And it gives me so much joy because I just realise how God answers prayer. And those prayer notes that I get, really I'm serving God as well as the people. And I pray for every morning I get, I'm able to, without even very much effort, wake up very early in the morning and pray for perhaps two hours for these people that I, whom I've just acquired. <laughs> Well, thank you, Joan. Thank you for your testimony and for hearing just a story from the life of our community of the way in which a very difficult circumstances, a trial, actually led to a dependence on God and even a ministry opportunity in Joan's case. And maybe as you reflect on your own life, you can see similar things um, where there were bad circumstances and you wouldn't want it to happen again. You wouldn't wish it on anybody but God actually used that circumstance to grow you to be a better person. Maybe at the moment you're so uh, embedded in a difficult situation that it's hard to see any good in it. I understand that. It's very hard when you're actually in the middle of a trial to see what God is doing. We can't often. But we need to persevere and stick with God and perhaps down the track you'll be able to look back on this time and the way that God actually used it to transform you, to grow you and to make you more like Christ. I think the question arises as we consider this topic, how much do we value maturity in Christ? How much do we value God changing our character and transforming who we are um, through the midst of trials? You see, if we desire comfort and security, if that's our goal, more than Christian maturity, or if we're looking for success and that's more important than godliness, 
If we're yearning for material wealth rather than yearning for Jesus and knowing him deeply, then it's very hard to know joy in the midst of hardship because we can focus at those times on earthly things, earthly things that we're losing or we've lost in the moment rather than the heavenly things, the deeper things that God might be doing in our character and for the future through the midst of these difficult times. If our personal goal, though, is the same as that that is our church's mission, to know Christ and to make him known, then even trials, even challenging trials are opportunities. Opportunities to know Christ more intimately, uh, opportunities to share him with others, as you know, Justin Welby has done so powerfully through his circumstance, to grow more like him, to depend on him more heavily, to realign our priorities on what is really of value. Putting our faith into action means that we can find joy in the midst of trials because we know the bigger picture of who God is and what he is doing in the world and in us. Next, James gives us an encouragement as we face trials. You see, the encouragement is that God doesn't just leave us to our own devices when we're facing hard times. God's message to us is not just persevere, stick with it, I'll leave it to you, good luck, See you at the end. That's not the God that we serve. No, God is with us. God is there with us amidst the trials and he will give us what we need. James's focus here is on the wisdom that God gives to his people. It's in verses 5 to 8. Wisdom is not the same as intelligence. It's not a head thing where we can intellectualise the situation and have right theories or right answers about it. Wisdom is practical. Wisdom is about knowing how to act rightly in particular circumstances. Wisdom is especially about knowing what to do when the choice is not obvious, where things are ambiguous, things are messy, things are difficult, or where we're forced to choose between two options which are both hard options or perhaps that both seem equally good. When we're in the midst of trials, this is often the messy sort of situation we face and so wisdom is essential. So here's the good news, verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. I can't begin to tell you how precious this verse is to me and how often I have prayed this verse and relied on this verse in prayer. I often feel like I don't know what to do. I often feel like I'm out of my depth. I often feel and pray to God, God, I'm a little child and I've got not enough understanding to do what you want me to do. I know that I lack wisdom and I need it. I need it in my own life. I need it as I care for my children. I need it as I have pastoral responsibilities for this church. I need it as I interact with you and talk with you and pray with you about the difficult things that you're facing in your life. I need wisdom. But God is generous, and God says he will give it to us. And uh, he won't have a go at us for asking and say, you idiot, what are you asking for wisdom? You should know better than that. No, he tells us, ask, and he will answer that prayer, and he won't find fault with us for asking and recognising that we lack wisdom and we need it. Here's a prayer that I prayed this week. It came up coincidentally in the book that I'm reading for my own quiet times at the moment. Very fitting 
in light of what we're doing here. This is the prayer. Lord, I face crucial decisions in which both alternatives are morally permitted but are probably not equally wise. How I need wisdom to discern the best path, the best choice. Educate my heart and mind to make me wiser and a better steward of the resources that you have given me. Amen. The reality is that we're all on a journey. We're all on a journey of maturity, growing to be more like Jesus, becoming more and more the people that God wanted us, wants us to be. No one in this church is perfect. We all have difficulties, we all have challenges, we all have sins in our life. And this journey with Jesus is about steady and incremental growth. But on that journey there will be decisions that we need to make along the way and decisions matter. Each choice along the way is important. Every day we have a test about how we're going to put our faith into action in the different circumstances that we face. As we face trials along the way, how are we going to respond? Are they going to be things that draw us nearer to God or are they things that are going to push us away from him and reject him? We need God's wisdom as we make these choices and as we face the difficult things in life. And we also need to remember that God is good. God's character is constant. He is steadfast. He is faithful and he is one who gives good things to us. As well as speaking about the wisdom that God gives to us, James concludes this section with these words. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. So let's pray to this God. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you are the same God yesterday, today and tomorrow, that you are constant and faithful and reliable in the varying circumstances that we face. Uh, Lord, we know that um, things in life change and are challenging and there are things going on right now in our own lives and we know things going on right now in our local community which are difficult, which are challenging. We ask that you would help us to draw near to you in the midst of these challenging times, to rely on you, to seek your strength and your comfort and your love. And we thank you, Lord, that you also give us your wisdom that we would know what choices to make and the right choices to make. I pray especially for people in this church right now where life is overwhelming and difficult and challenging for them right here today. And I pray that you would bless them especially that you would comfort them and that you would give them your wisdom. And we thank you that you are a God who gives good gifts and is always with us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.